Are you looking to fine-tune? Whether for your business, your job, your team, or yourself, in each episode, we will be discussing different ideas and opinions using real-world examples to help you see opportunities, innovate, and succeed. Hi, it's Corby Fine, and welcome to Fine Tune. So with me today, I have Alyssa Atkins, who I have known for many, many years, and uh, we've had this sort of distant online relationship, checking in every once in a while. She's been a namesake in the Canadian digital media and marketing landscape. And so I have the pleasure of having her with me today. Alyssa, for background, had jumped into this entrepreneurship game a little while ago with this really interesting story that seems to have manifested itself all over the interweb. Lots of different permutations, but I like to say, you know, she ended a long-term relationship as some people in her life were going through all kinds of challenges with regards to getting pregnant, having kids. Uh, It's one of those things I tell people all the time, you know, you'll never be in the perfect position. You'll never have the right house, the right job. If it's something that you know you want in your life, then just go for it. Like, don't put all those preventative measures in. And so what Alyssa was witnessing essentially triggered her to think about her own situation and her own desire to have kids and a family. And again, while not being in the perfect situation, decided to start her own process and take a look at the world of fertility. Uh, One of those things that we don't often think about as a, a daily occurrence in our lives. But, you know, that right moment, that trigger happened. And that's when it all kind of fell apart. And we'll ask Alyssa to expand on it a little bit. Delays and complex information and, you know, nothing in that world is very simple. It's a bit of a gong show at the end of the day. And so as someone going through it, the entrepreneurial, you know, spirit and mindset, Alyssa said, huh, maybe there's something here that I can help to solve, not just for herself, but for many women and couples who are going through the same problem. And so a business was essentially imagined in her head. And so Alyssa is with me today. Welcome to the podcast. I look forward to hearing all about this journey. Corby, this is so fun. So why don't you just give my listeners a little bit more about your background and ultimately what made you the right person to tackle this problem or really any problem? Are are you an entrepreneur at heart and and why this? Yeah. So you know, why Lilia? I say Lilia chose me. Like Lilia pulled me into it. It compelled me. I felt like I didn't have another choice. And am I a founder at heart? I mean, so my foray into entrepreneurship, I guess, was in university when I ran a window cleaning company. (laughs) And so two years into university, I was doing criminology. Originally, I wanted to be a lawyer. Thank God I didn't go down that path. And So yeah, two years in, I started this window cleaning company. And so you can imagine me, I had this little red car and I'd strap these 32 foot ladders onto it. And we drive 45 minutes to where the big houses were and, you know, running up and down ladders on flip-flops all day, scrubbing windows and sides of housing. And then at the end of the day, my team and I would run around the neighborhood, knocking on doors, selling more window cleaning. And then I'd drive home, you know, all sunburnt and sweaty and call and follow up on my leads from the previous day to make sure we had the week full of jobs. And I loved it. I loved running a team and being in control of my destiny and the outcomes. So that, again, that was my forient entrepreneurship and what had me switch into business, which is what I ultimately studied. And then after university, I came to Toronto for a program called Next 36 at the time. And that is what exposed me to tech as a solution to many of life's problems. 
And then I spent some time at two of some Toronto's most promising startups, Top Hat and Care Guide. Fantastic experiences. And I just had the fire in my belly to do my own thing. And I was experiencing this problem. Like you said, I was in this 10-year-long relationship that came to an end. My stepmom had gone through early menopause at 36, something I didn't even know could happen. And the real kicker for me was I was in a new relationship with someone younger than me. And so we weren't aligned on timeline to having kids. And so I realized I'm not going to have kids in my most reproductive years. And so what are my options? And that's when I started navigating this journey, realized how arduous it was, how complex it is, and how it bounces most women right out. And again, just I was compelled. I, I had to solve this. It was one of those things where this needs to exist in the world. Nobody else is doing it. And so given my background uh, at startups and in performance marketing and being the kind of founder who could be the spokesperson for you know, proactive fertility and egg securing, it's... Um, it became less of, of a choice and more of something I, I just had to do. So what is the business specifically? Are, are you building tech? Are you building content and advice and process? And where are you in the journey of evolving the business? Yeah. So Lilia is a, it's a technology company. So we're, you can think of us like a digital egg freezing concierge. So we help the millions of women between 25 and 40 in North America explore their fertility options and take next steps toward egg freezing. And so many of our members, they compare us to uh, a wealth symbol for egg freezing. And so it's one place online for people with ovaries who want kids later to get everything they need in their planning journey. And so they get research and guidance, but then we also make it easy for them to take next steps. So for example, instead of spending hours on the phone with clinics, trying to make appointments, get costs, or spending time on the phone with insurance providers, Lilia books you in for your fertility consultation into a vetted clinic fast. We get you a custom price quote based on your insurance. We can usually save you money at the clinic and we're your trusted point person along the way. And so it's a mix of having that human touch and then guiding you through with tech as much as we can. So it's a pretty personal and significant problem that <laughs> you know seems both technically challenging from the the medical science, obviously, one of the things that human beings really can't control is getting pregnant. There's a billion little microchemical things that have to happen to be perfect, right? We can choose our friends and our job and where we live. But man, this is one of those things that's just beyond us medically. And at the same time, there's this huge emotional side to it as well. Like it's a very personal and meaningful thing in the lives of not just women, but but men as well. So going into this, what were those concerns and challenges that you saw as potential barriers or roadblocks that you'd have to overcome from both of those perspectives? Mm. You know, on the emotional side, yeah, it is something that's fragile to connect with people on. And you asked earlier, what makes you the right person to, to solve this? And one thing that I've definitely noticed is an advantage for us is I, one being the target demographic, I can relate to women with my story, but two, I think one of my superpowers is that I just connect with people at lightning speed. And that has been a benefit for us in creating an environment of trust where people feel taken care of and supported and like they can really lean on us to guide them through and and help them make the right choice for them. And, you know, what's hard about this more generally on a macro level is what I learned from doing hundreds and hundreds of user interviews is, you know, we kind of conflate fertility and womanhood. And so what a lot of people feel when it comes to infertility is a compromising 
of a woman and what does it mean if I can't bear a child, right? And this is just, we know, a very outdated notion of womanhood and it doesn't include folks who don't want to have children or who can't or, you know, gay couples who, who don't want to be the one to bear a child. And so what's been really important is uncoupling womanhood from fertility and seeing egg securing as reproductive equity. Right. So the unfair and unfortunate truth is that our reproductive timeline is different from men. And so what that means is that women end up having to make different choices in our careers and our relationships because of this timeline. And so executing, I see, is the way to level the playing field here. And so when we can move the conversation from this is executing or being proactive about your fertility is something you do because there's a problem or there's something wrong. Instead to, this is something you do because you're a woman who's got plans and you've got a lot of things you want to do in your life and you don't want to settle in your relationship or your career, or you don't want to limit your options. It creates the space to have a very different conversation. So from the time you launched, there must have been all kinds of interesting stories. Uh, you know, the early days, initial users, challenges with your tech and, and your team and building it out. Anything you can share that really changed the the route or the path? You know, we hear these stories of entrepreneurs all the time saying, I'm going left, and then a few things happen, and all of a sudden I'm going sort of left, but a little right and backwards. And like, what's one or two of those stories that really influenced the direction of the business? Yeah, actually, I have a funny one I can share. So when you're building a company, you're basically just testing a series of hypotheses. And so starting with what you think the problem is. And so with my experience, where I started was I wanted to get information about my body through this ovarian reserve test I learned you could do. And it took me three months, three in-person visits. I started and funded Lilia faster. And I was, I thought to myself, I'd really like to be able to just receive this information at home. And so we built this, we started with this at-home fertility hormone test and we validated it with a lab and we brought on fertility doctors who were advisors and, you know, people order the test. They love it. It's, it's super helpful if that's just what you want to get. But then what I learned as I went through the journey was after taking that test, I learned about egg securing and I realized that it just made so much sense. It was such an investment in myself, something I was doing for me. And it really, it relieved a lot of pressure I was feeling, but getting to that point was so cumbersome. And the gap I really saw was actually in egg securing being the future. You know, I think this is where the world is going. It's becoming the new normal. You know, women will do it upon graduation and we'll celebrate with a big party. And so once that started to clarify and manifest, I started changing the way I was doing user research, right? So initially I was like, I have this problem. Do other people have this problem too? And what I learned was yes. So what we found out though is the women who were more sure about wanting to secure their eggs didn't want to start with an at-home test. They just wanted to go right to the clinic. And so in the early days, I was like forcing them to take the at-home test. And they'd be like, can I just go, you know, I really want you to book me in at the clinic. I want to do the, the blood test and the ultrasound and talk to a fertility doctor. And I'd be like, you got to start with this test. And finally, you know, we were in Y Combinator at the time. And my YC partners were like, Alyssa, just give people what they want. <laughs> people are pretty good at knowing what they want. And it was one of those, you know, aha moments where I remember Michael Seibel, the CEO of Y Combinator, he I was describing him to the problem and I remember saying, could it really be that simple? And he was like, I think it probably is that simple, right? And so, you know, our product has evolved incredibly. 
because of that experience and because of Y Combinator, I talk to users every single day and we update our learnings weekly based on what they ask for and the problems they encounter. And so the learning to me has been listen to your users, but, but no, really, really listen to them and, and not to be selective about when I'm going to listen to them. Yeah, it's really good that you can get that kind of advice and support from someone who's been through the trenches, who's running a program like a Y Combinator. And at the same time, I know from the market and and the news, you've also gotten support from a fundraising perspective, and you've actually been successful, even in a very challenging year of trying to raise capital, get investment. How's that panned out? I know a lot of the people that listen to my podcast are entrepreneurs themselves. And I know I've got a few investors who listen in as well, not just from Canada, but internationally. What are some of the secrets that maybe you can share about your journey in securing that kind of support? Mm, yeah, I would say what's made Lilia successful in fundraising is going to be an answer that probably you and listeners don't want to hear, but it's that it's been years spent building relationships and not building relationships with the intent that one day I'm going to invite you to invest in my company but just being really interested in folks, you know, Corby, how long have we known each other? And it was just a relationship. And then it was like, uh, you know, folks would hear, oh, Alyssa's raising kind of, and it was a hush hush thing. And because I had built those relationships, it was, it was really easy to, to broach that conversation. And so there were basically a couple junctures here. When I first quit my full-time job to, to go out and do Lilia, the round was, it shocked even me. We ended up doing it in five weeks, almost a million dollars with no site deck or product it was oversubscribed. But of course, this was not just five weeks of fundraising. Like I said, this was four years of delivering and building relationships. And so the advice I got at this point that was really helpful from a good friend of mine, is he said, you raise by not raising. And so I would meet up with my friends, you know, um, you know, folks like you and, and others uh, with similar backgrounds. And I would share that I was going out on my own and I was solving my own problem. I know that people want it. It's a huge and growing market, perfect founder fit. And they'd ask, are you raising money? And I'd say, no, not really. You know, I opened a safe to accept some checks from a small group of folks who can help accelerate, you know, our success that I really want to work with, but you know, not really. And then they'd, you know, they'd, they'd want to participate. And so that was kind of the first round. And then we did Y Combinator and the next round, or I guess the the second part of our seed round was very different. So, you know, you're me, it's March, 2020, we're three weeks away from demo day and the world starts literally melting. And I'm here, I am thinking, well, you know, my last round raised itself and we've got this striking vision and all this traction and it's such a great fit. And, you know, it was not the the demo day or the, the ending of YC that I expected. So I think we're, it looks like we're the first and only batch to have not had an in-person demo day. So it certainly was disappointing not to go on stage. You know, that's my strength. But in this case, it was different. You're raising or you're not. And so this time we had to lean on our traction. Why was the right team, right time? And it was it's really hard to both raise and build a company. And so here we were committed to raising, you know, make your spreadsheet, manage it like a sales fu- funnel. The thing I learned that was super helpful is breaking your pitch down to just having three to five main points you can get across in 20 seconds. And that's what you want people to walk away with. Oh, right. The egg freezing concierge girl, (laughs) you know, because that's what they're going to remember. So that all said, you know, we, we did have really strong traction and we're in a fast growing market with strong uh, founder market fit. So luckily Lilia was one of the companies that did have a lot of interest. So 
we were able to close our round in just a few weeks all over Zoom, but it was definitely harder than the first one. So we still got there, just had to speak to more people to get there. And I would say it was much harder in March than I think fundraising would be now. Again, people, then we no one knew what was happening. The world was crashing. Now we all know kind of what we're in for and what it looks like. So it, it, it'd be much easier to do now. Yeah, although we don't necessarily like what we see, the fog has somewhat cleared in terms of the short and midterm path. So I'm going to assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that given the topic of the business and the clientele that you're going after, and the fact that there is a very strong uh, push right now for female entrepreneurs, female funding, and so on and so forth, did some prominent women or business leaders who are female stand up and really get behind you and support you? Did you see a difference as a, a leader who is a woman, an entrepreneur who's a woman, and building a business that, you know, at the surface at least feels like it's kind of targeting women, although couples are part of the story? Did anything sort of stand out to you in, in that sense? Mm. Well, I think women just really got it. You know, there's this ubiquitous head nod I get when I talk about the dating math, you know, the calculation women do when they're on dates. And okay, if I need to have kids by the time I'm 35, what does that mean for who I'm dating right now, right? And so it's a ubiquitous issue. And so women get it right away. And it was important to me building, you know, a women's health company to have a balanced cap table. And so, you know, 50% of our angel investors are women. And, you know, folks who are, who are our friends and who have built businesses of, of their own. And so some of Toronto's most prominent businesswomen who you'd probably recognize have participated. And I don't think they're investing because I'm a female-led company, right? Or because it's necessarily a women's issue. I think they see the problem. They see the huge opportunity. They think that I'm the right one to do it. And so it's been fantastic to get their support. And one thing I noticed about myself, admittedly, that's a bit embarrassing to share at, at the very beginning, you know, when I started out about a year ago now, I, I was fundraising and I noticed I was getting a lot of yeses from people who identify as men. And I noticed I just wasn't approaching as many women, assuming that pitching them would be harder. And I don't know why I had this, this conception anyway, turned out to be totally wrong. The women closed just as fast, if not faster. And I think perhaps some of the flaws we make in fundraising that I was at risk of making myself is not approaching female investors. Like women have money too, and they're you know ready to invest. Yeah, it's almost a, uh, a an unconscious bias within the fundraising as opposed to things like hiring and and promoting and so on. But you know, it's an interesting uh, when you think about how how these biases really permeate all aspects of the business life cycle. Mm-hmm. So outside of the the capital and then some direct support, whether again from from females or not when asked, any big challenges that you face that you you want to share, you know, things to think about as other people are either transitioning and growing their own business or even within larger organizations. Again, everybody's somewhat of an entrepreneur in their own world. What are some of the challenges that you've had to face and and maybe one or two that you've overcome and and can sort of measure the success as a result? Hmm. Well, I'm not sure about the quantifiable aspect of this one, but what I would say is the hardest part for me about entrepreneurship is just the uncertainty, right? I'm trying to create something that's never existed before in a market that's nascent. And generally, I'm making decisions with about 40% of the information I wish I had. 
get, if I wait for hundred percent of the information, I'll be too slow. And so my job is to make good decisions with imperfect information. And I just have to be right most of the time. <laughs> and so this, this uncertainty is, I find what, what is most challenging and something I've done that's helped is I think we all have this kind of inner saboteur, you know, this voice that's picking away at your confidence in decisions or in strategy or in what you're doing. And so what's been really helpful is just identifying this inner saboteur. So I get this from RuPaul. Do you know RuPaul's Drag Race? I do. Huge fan. I'm such a huge fan. So he talks about, you know, your inner saboteur. And what's helpful is identifying it, acknowledging it, understanding its purpose, right? Like this is the amygdala, the most primal part of our brain trying to protect us from danger, saying, you don't know what you're doing and, you know, don't go out on that limb. And so acknowledging it, thanking it, you know, thank you, inner saboteur, you're just trying to protect me, but, you know, we don't need, we don't actually need protecting right now, has made me has given me, I guess, the confidence I need at times to make decisions that are just inherently very uncertain. So business decisions based on RuPaul, otherwise known as what I would call imposter syndrome, which sounds a lot like mm-hmm. your inner, inner saboteur, where you're not really sure how you are in the situation you are. Do, do you deserve it? Was it luck? Do I know what the heck I'm going to do? Like all of these things are, are yeah. very much aligned. Who am I to think I could galvanize a generation of women to secure their eggs, right? No, seriously, who are you to do that? (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask you one last question. Obviously, you're you're doing a a great job. There's a ton of buzz in the market. I will admit there are some, you know, WhatsApp groups that are focused on the Canadian investment scene and, you know, your name comes up quite a bit. So that's, that's a really good thing. Again, imposter syndrome. How did I get in those WhatsApp groups? I don't know, but I'm there. What, what are the one or two tips that you just want to make sure that my listeners have as the takeaway about, you know, being an entrepreneur, starting a business, growing a business, or really just getting through their own challenges in their corporate gigs? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they're so aligned. It's just a question of the situation you find yourself in. Maybe one or two things that really, really stand out. Mm. Well, in the beginning of starting Lilia, what I found was really helpful was just committing to non-zero days. And so I didn't have to accomplish every, you know, the the dream in a day. I just had to move the needle forward. So maybe one day it was just sending an email and that was considered progress on the business. And by the end of a hundred days, I had the beginnings of a company. Another thing I do now, because time is, it it sounds trite to say, but time is, is so scarce. And so I can't do everything I want to. And so something I do is every day I write down just three things that I could do to move the needle that day. So Lilia, we work on these 60 day cycles with one week sprints. And so thanks to my friend, Michelle, who she's the one that told me about this, but on a post-it note, just three things. And then if you do those things that day, they should be the highest leverage things and they should move this business forward. And you know, another thing, I know you asked for one or two, but a bonus is something that has really helped me get through the hard days and there are many of them right like being a founder is so so challenging but it's helped building something that I feel I could spend my life on where I feel like I have to build Ilya because I'll be so disappointed if it doesn't exist and you know women everywhere are counting on me to to push this frontier of feminism forward in the way that I can and this if this was the last thing I did you know I could die happy and so that's gotten me through some of the really hard moments I've actually never heard it put that way, but 
to build something that you can essentially base your life on and know that you've delivered is uh, mm-hmm. it's actually really inspirational. Thank you for for sharing that. I might have to steal and quote quote you on that in the Do future. It. So listen, um, Lilia is it's it's such an interesting model, and I know that a lot of people listening have gone through their own fertility issues and challenges. It's one of those those topics that we don't always talk about yet you kind of always know somebody who's gone through it and you know kudos to you for tackling it head on and you know I personally look for amazing things and success from you and watching the business and continuing to listen and read my WhatsApp groups about the secret behind the scenes of what's going on but again thank you so much for sharing this information spending the time and I know that my listeners are really going to take your words to heart so thank you so much Alyssa oh thank you this has been such a blast we'll talk soon you've been listening to fine tune if you haven't done so already please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts you can connect with me on twitter at cfine through linkedin at corbyfine or visit my website corbyfine.com Fine Tune is produced by me, Corby Fine. Thanks for listening.